Well, it's great to be here. Are we on? We're good? Uh, thanks, Dave, for the privilege of being here. It's great. Um, yeah, like Dave said, I'm, I'm regular here at church, um, and I head up a, a uni uh, ministry here in town. I've been doing that for about 10 years, so I was looking for my flowers, but um, didn't get them. Um, that's all good. Um, no, it's great to be here. It's a wonderful opportunity to, to think about prayer together. Um, but I want to start by sharing um, just a bit of a story that happened a couple of months ago. Uh, we were up at uni. Um, I'd just given a Bible talk, uh, like we do most Tuesday evenings, uh, sitting around with a bunch of students eating Subway for dinner, which is a highlight of the week for me. And um, I noticed that, I don't know if you ever have those moments where you see that there's someone who kind of wants to talk to you, but they're not really sure how to, how to make the approach. Um, there, was a, there was a girl that had come along, a student, um, and she'd come with a friend to kind of check Jesus out, which was really exciting. And so I thought, I'll, I'll go over there and I'll strike up a conversation. And I got to know her. She's a bright, funny young student. Um, she was a Muslim, actually. And uh, I must have been talking too much because she said to me, Steve, can, can I ask you a question? I thought, oh, okay, yeah. I'll stop talking. And, and I said, sure, yeah, what, um, what's the question? And she said, Steve, how do you pray so easily? And I kind of thought, well, that, that question actually took me back a little bit because when I think about the rhythms, the spiritual rhythms, it seems to me that prayer is not the easy one for me. Uh, it, that question kind of took me back. Um, so often I feel like prayer is not an easy thing for me. Uh, so often I just don't pray. But here was this young Muslim student, bright young girl, who'd seen me kind of give a talk about Jesus and then just kind of finish by praying. You know, just praying kind of in casual conversation, thanking God that we could meet together, thanking him for his goodness to us in Jesus, praying that he would bless our university. That kind of casual conversation, she says to me, how do you do that? How do you pray so easily, so freely like that? And it strikes me that I think the answer is it's because of the gospel, isn't it? It's because of the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us through his death and resurrection. The answer to how we pray so easily is because Jesus has died for our sins. He has cancelled the record of wrong that, that broke the relationship between us and God. Jesus has risen from the dead and right now he intercedes at God's right hand on our behalf. And the reason we can pray is because Jesus has made the way. That's how we pray so easily, isn't it? Because we have this wonderful access to God because of the work of Jesus, because it's Jesus himself who intercedes for us. That's how we pray. I think sometimes as Christians, we actually forget the wonder of the access that we have to God. See, for my Muslim friend, for her, prayer is not free and easy. She does not have someone at God's right hand interceding for her. So what that means is that for her, prayer is a work. Prayer is a, a work that she must do five times a day in order to rack up more and more good works before Allah. She said to me these very words, and I hope you're ready for them. This is what she said. She said, Steve, when I pray, I imagine how hot 
hell is. And the more I pray, the more I believe I will spend less time there. That's why I pray. Steve, is that why you pray? That was the question. And with tears in my eyes, like, I don't tear up that much, but with tears in my eyes, I said, no, that is not why I pray. I pray because God is my Father who loves me. I pray because God is near. I do not pray to a distant judge who I don't know my standing with. I pray in freedom to a near and loving Father. And we know this, don't we, brothers and sisters? If you're a Christian here today, we know that truth. We know the good news of the gospel that when we put our trust in Jesus... Not only is our record of sin completely wiped clean and paid for, but we are reconciled to God. The relationship is restored. And you know, even more than that, more than reconciled, the word is adopted. We are adopted into God's family and we are called his dearly loved children. Isn't that good news? That's why we pray. And that's why Jesus says to us, when you pray, do not pray in fear, but pray in freedom. Pray like this, Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven. See, friends, for a Muslim, even for a Jew, you know, to call God Father is shocking, almost blasphemous. That, that kind of, um, I, I think we kind of miss the shock of it, you know, 2,000 years on from Jesus. But if we had have lived in Jesus' day, and if we had have heard him just address God as Father, that would have shocked us. That kind of intimacy, that kind of irreverence would have been absolutely shocking. Um, I don't know how to say this guy's name, but I'll have a crack at it. Joachim Jeremias, uh, he's a German New Testament scholar, and he writes this. Uh, He says, there is not a single example anywhere in extant Jewish literature, including the Old Testament, the Talmud, the Targums, and so on, until the 10th century AD, where a Jewish person addresses God directly as Father. I mean, there are some references of God as Father of the Jewish people as a whole in the Old Testament, but for an individual person, to address God directly as Father. You just don't find that anywhere. That's too personal, too intimate, too irreverent. Yet, you open up a gospel like the Gospel of Luke, and if you've got it there in front of you, or you've got it on a device, I encourage you to, um, to open it up. You open up a gospel like the Gospel of Luke, and you see that the fatherhood of God and the sonship of Jesus is just written all throughout the text, isn't it? I don't know how this will work, but I thought I'd give you a little pop quiz just to get a bit of participation. Um, In Luke chapter 2, does anyone know what Jesus calls the temple? The Father's house. That's right. It's it's his Father's house. Uh, In chapter 3, Jesus is baptized and the, the audible voice of God the Father comes out of heaven. Does anyone know what he says? This is my Son, whom I love. This could be a tricky one. In chapter 4, the demons look at Jesus. Do you know what they say? You are the Son of God. 
even the demons see it, right? Chapters 5 to 9, I won't go through it all, but Jesus performs miracle after miracle, asking the Father to do his work through him. And then in chapter 10, verse 21, you might want to flick there in your Bible, chapter 10, 21, I think this is a climactic moment in the book of Luke. Jesus stops and he prays. And this is his prayer. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. I praise you, Father, the one who is in control of all things. I praise you for who you are and what you've done. And the disciples, right, they've seen all this. They've been walking with Jesus through the gospel. They see everything that Jesus is doing. And they see the kind of relationship that Jesus has with God the Father. And in that relationship, I take it, they see that he just has this intimacy with God. He has a a security, a trust, a a reliance, a kind of non-anxiousness. A relationship with God like they've never seen in anyone before. And they look at it, they see that. And they want it, right? They want that kind of relationship. They see what Jesus has got and, and they want it. They see the way that Jesus prays. They, they see that his prayers are, are not got those kind of long, impersonal prayers like the Pharisees prayed. You know, you read and you kind of see the Pharisees pray um, in order to impress the people listening on. They pray long prayers, religious prayers, wordy prayers. But Jesus so often just prayed short prayers really personal prayers sometimes he had solo prayers he just went away and prayed so no one could listen on so it seemed for jesus that he didn't care who was listening in or listening on he wasn't trying to impress them when it came to prayer what jesus really cared about was that he had his father's ear was that his father was listening and jesus found joy in prayer because it was such a real relationship Jesus' prayer seemed to come really naturally. A little bit like my son Harry comes up to me and just talks about the footy. Just kind of interrupts me, what I'm doing, and starts saying, hey, Dad, the Panthers are playing. A lot of you guys won't get that because Harry and I are into rugby league. It's a different code. You might have heard of rugby league. It's in a northern state. But um, he just comes up to me and just starts talking so naturally about the Panthers and who's playing and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's just beautiful. It's so unburdened. And that's what Jesus' prayers were like. They were so unburdened. They were so unreligious. They were just familial, close, intimate. And I take it that's why the disciples say what they say in verse 1 of chapter 11. They see Jesus pray. They see the kind of relationship he has with God. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray like you. Because we want that. (laughs) We want the kind of prayer life that you have, Jesus. And you know, I wonder if I was to ask you this morning, do you want that? Do you want that kind of prayer life like Jesus has? That kind of close walking with God, that sharing your life, trusting in him. You know, like Dave said, we're in this... um, series in spiritual rhythms here at church i think we're about three quarters of the way through or four fifth i was trying to work out which one um and i guess guess it's worth stopping and asking isn't it you know how are you actually going with the rhythms at the moment have they excited you 
Have they captured you? Have you kind of worked out ways in your life that you're going to practice them? I take it that if we're going to, to live these rhythms and have them just flowing out of our lives, we actually really need to want them, don't we? We actually need to see why they're so good. Because generally, we want things that are good, don't we? Seems to me the disciples, they see these rhythms in Jesus' life. And particularly, I think, this rhythm of prayer, and they see it and they want it. They want it not because, you know, if you... They don't want it because if you pray in a certain way, then somehow God becomes like a genie. You know, like Aladdin's lamp, you rub it in the right way and then gives you whatever you want. No, 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 that's not how prayer works. No, they want it because they see how Jesus prays and they see how prayer actually shapes Jesus to be the type of person that he is. They look at Jesus and they've never met anyone who is so secure, so kind, so bold, so wise, so loving. They've never seen anyone with such a real, genuine relationship with God that's expressed through their prayers. And so they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray like you. And in Luke 11, I think Jesus teaches us three things to pray. Um, I think he teaches us firstly who we pray to. He teaches us what we pray for. And he teaches us how we can pray. And we're going to think about those things together, the who, the what, and the how of prayer. But I guess, um, you know, when Dave first asked me, Steve, do you want to um, jump in on this uh, series and, and preach one of the spiritual rhythms? You know, I, I instantly said, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and I think I did that looking back because I assumed that he wouldn't ask me about prayer. I assumed he probably would have asked me about one of the other ones. See, I, I love the Bible. I love digging deep into the Bible. I love searching the scriptures to see how God speaks to us about his son. I love the idea of Sabbath. You know, when AJ was up here the other day, um, a few Sundays ago, he's talking about waking up, breakfast, going back to sleep. Uh, I love that idea of kind of carving out physical rest. But, but I also love the idea of the Sabbath about how we kind of rest in the gospel truths, you know, rest in the forgiveness of Jesus, that kind of real deep soul rest that we have a peace with God. I love that. I love the idea of um, solitude that Donna opened up, that idea of just kind of getting away and reflecting and taking time to do that. But when Dave asked me about, um, Steve, would you do the one on prayer? I thought, oh boy, <laughs> that's not my strong suit, right? Just not. I don't, I don't know if you know that terrible old joke. Um, what's the easiest way to make a Christian feel guilty? Ask them about their prayer life. Uh, it's a terrible joke, right? But so often I think that's me. So often I just don't pray. I mean, there's obviously times um, in my week, in my days, where, where I do pray. We, we pray with our kids. We say grace um, over dinner. I try and pray with my kids um, before they go to bed. Um, Often I pray with my work at a start of a meeting or during a Bible study. We pray as part of work. But so often, you know, I look at my life and I just don't see that it's a rhythm. I just don't see that I'm praying like Jesus prays. You know, as a husband, I know that I ought to be leading my wife in prayer. But so often I don't. It's just not a rhythm. I know as a dad, I ought to slow down and, you know, pray with my kids about the big things and the little things but 
So often I don't. I mean, there's a few parents in the room, you can tell. Um, just looking around. School mornings are pretty crazy, aren't they? School mornings are nuts for us. We've got four kids trying to do the breakfast, they're getting dressed, they're getting in the car and getting there before the school bell. And so often what happens, right? You're just going out the door, the lunches are packed, all that sort of stuff, and one of the kids will say, I can't find my shoes. Or where's my jacket? Where's my drink bottle? There's always a problem, right, as you're going out. And do you know what I do? Do you know what my instant reaction is? All right, Steve, fix it mode. I'm going to fix it, all right? So I ask questions, you know, well, where, where was it last? Where was your jacket last time? Uh, is it under your bed? Did you bring it home from school? Where, where, where is it? Let's go down to your room. Hurry up, quick, let's go. We've got to get in the car. And do you know what happens? When I go into fix-it mode, do you know what happens? The anxiety of the room raises because I'm trying to fix the problem. Do you know what my wife, Laura, does? She kneels down. She gets down on the kids' level. And she says, let's ask Jesus to help us. And they pray, right? And I'm standing back on the other side of the kitchen bench, totally rebuked in the most beautiful way. And they pray and they ask Jesus to go and help them find the jacket. And then they go. And every time Jesus helps them find the jacket. And it's wonderful. And I look at my life and I think, why don't I do that? Why isn't that part of my rhythm? Why isn't prayer a reflex muscle for me? And as I've thought about it, I wonder if maybe the answer is really simple. I wonder if it's that I'm not truly believing just the first line of Jesus' prayer. Do you see it there? The first line that Jesus teaches us, I think there's two truths that if we really really believe them, then we would pray more. Here's the line. I'll read it out. Father in heaven. That's who we pray to. Father in heaven. Slow down and just think about that line. Can you see the two truths about God just in that first line? Firstly, who is the God that we pray to? He is our Father. He is a a personal God, a close God, an intimate God, a God who, who longs to listen to us and care for us. But secondly, do you notice who this close, personal Father God is? He's the one in heaven. He's the powerful God who is ruling and reigning over all things. He's the one with all power and all might. Do you see who our God is, who we pray to? He's the personal and the powerful one. And you know, friends, I think we have to believe both of those truths if we're going to pray, don't we? See, let's just think for a moment, what happens if I only believe one of those truths? If I only believe that God is powerful, not personal, then what is my view of God? I actually think most of us tend to go one way or the other. I think most of us um, either go a really powerful God or a really personal God, and the reason we don't pray that much is because we don't hold two truths together. What is my view of God if he is only powerful? Well, it is a distant God, isn't it? It is a God who is up there, out there, who has big plans in control, and he's going to achieve his plans whether or not I like it. 
So why would he want to stop and listen to little old me? Why would I even bother knocking on his door? To only believe in a powerful God actually discourages me from praying. But the flip side of it is true too, isn't it? If I only believe in a personal God, then the same thing happens. See, if God is just like a, a really nice old grandpa <laughs> who I can go to and, and tell things to, but he really has no power to change anything or affect anything, then it might be nice to go and share some thoughts and let him pat me on the head and say, off you go. But really, that's not going to keep me praying that long, is it? But you know what I think would encourage us to pray? Is when those two truths come together. When we hold them both together, that our God is both powerful and personal. I need those two truths together. I need a God who is personal, a Father who hears me, who longs to hear me. I also need a God who is powerful. A God who is willing and able to change things and make a difference. One who will respond to my prayers with actions. And that's exactly what Jesus teaches us. Just in that first line, our Father, personal, in heaven, powerful. And it's not just here. Uh, you probably know the very famous Psalm 23. What does David say? The Lord is my shepherd. The Almighty Lord is my personal shepherd. It's beautiful, isn't it? Don Carson uh, writes this. He says, it's worth praying to a sovereign God because he is free and can take action as he, as he wills. It is worth praying to a personal God because he hears, responds and acts on behalf of his people. That's the who. That's who we get to pray to. We pray to a personal and a powerful God. Jesus goes on and he teaches us how we can pray to this Father in heaven. I think really interestingly, as we read on, we see that the Lord's Prayer, and you might have noticed this as Dave read it out, um, you read the Lord's Prayer in the different Gospels where it's recorded for us, and you see that not each one of them is exactly the same. And I think that's helpful for us, because that actually teaches us that Jesus, when he said, this is how we ought to pray, uh, was not telling us, you know, you need to remember these exact words and just you know, wrote, learn them and just recite them away. You know, he's actually in the Lord's Prayer giving us kind of categories to pray for. Uh, he's kind of giving us guidelines about the kind of things that would be good for us to pray as we pray to God. Uh, you probably know it, but I'll read it out. Verses 2 to 4, Jesus says, When you pray, you pray like this, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. You see there that Jesus gives some really helpful guidelines to pray. Uh, if you're new to prayer, if, if, you're, if you've not prayed much before, I think a really helpful acronym that some people have used and kind of sums up the categories here in the Lord's Prayer is the acronym ACTS. Uh, Acts is, um, starts with A, adoration. Come and adore God. Adore God, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Come to God and just tell him what's good about him, what you love about him. 
C, confession. Come and confess to God. Tell him your sins. Tell him your struggles. Tell him the things that are going on. He can handle that. T, thankfulness. Come and thank God. Thank him for the forgiveness that he gives us for our sins. Thank him for so much more. Thank him that, you know, he's building his kingdom, that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And also supplication. That's a weird word, isn't it? But come and ask that God would supply our needs, that he would provide for us, give us our daily bread. Come and ask your father, just like a child comes and asks for things. It's a helpful little acronym, isn't it? If, you've, um, if you're getting into prayer, acts, adoration, confession, thankfulness and supplication. I think in terms of prayer as, as a kind of a rhythm, uh, there's lots of um, freedom about how we pray. There's no kind of set rules to how we pray. Remember God says, "Come." Uh, Jesus says, come to God as a father. I take it that that means that, well, who are we? Well, we're little children, right? I think about how maybe a, a three or a four-year-old might come and talk to a parent. Perhaps that's the model of how we to come to God. There's no set rules for that kind of conversation, is there? Uh, you might try to set aside a, a time to, to pray in the morning. You might want to pray at night. You might do both. You might just pray spontaneously during the day. Uh, you might like to pray out loud. You might like to pray quietly. I think it's really helpful to pray with other Christians. Uh, we'll be doing that this Wednesday night. I think that'll be a wonderful time where we hear other Christians pray and learn from them. There's lots of ways we can pray. But I think the big point that Jesus says is he actually wants us to come to God because God wants to hear our voice. And I think thirdly, as we move on, we see that as Jesus says, come to your father, he actually teaches us the kind of ways that we can come to him. You see it in the two stories that Jesus tells uh, the first story is about coming kind of relentlessly and shamelessly to God. And the second story is about coming trustingly to a good father. You see the two little stories there? The first one's in verses 5 to 10. You might want to just skim read it as I recap it. Jesus tells a little story there about a man who's run out of bread. Some of us, I think, could relate to that. I don't know if you've ever had guests turn up and you look in the fridge and there's not much there, so we've got to duck out to Coles or Woolworths and, you know, go and find a barbecue truck and now we covered ourselves. Well, that kind of option wasn't there in this story. There was no 7-Eleven that this guy could go to and um, find some food for his friends. So what he does in desperation, right, in desperation, he goes to his friend's place at midnight and he just knocks on the door. It's kind of rude the way he does it. It's kind of shameless and, and reckless. Um, and he says, I need, I need some bread. Give me three loaves of bread. And he's knocking on the door. And you see in that story, right, the friend, the friend is asleep. And the friend is kind of irritated. He doesn't want to get out of bed. He doesn't want to um, turn the lights on and wake everyone up. But the point, right, the point of Jesus telling this story is not about the attitude of the friend, uh, we're not meant to go, oh, does that mean God is like an irritated friend? No, God is a really good father. We'll see that in the next one. The point of the story is how you come and ask. The point is that we're meant to see the person who comes and does the knocking. The point is um, that this guy comes 
and he just shamelessly knocks and asks shamelessly comes in and wants access and wants the the things that the friend has it's a little, little bit like sometimes my kids just come in on zoom meetings they just walk on in because they have access to their father like no one else does this guy just shamelessly relentlessly comes on in and the point is you can ask audaciously of god we were at Adelaide this week um, for a holiday. It was beautiful. I have to apologise to all my friends from South Australia. For years I've been saying that Adelaide isn't that great, but I've been rebuked. It's actually wonderful. Um, we had a great holiday. Um, one of the things we did was we went to the Barossa Valley Sweet Shop. Now, you probably know these kind of shops. You know those lolly shops, those old-school lolly shops? Wall-to-wall sugar. Absolute sugar. Oh, you should have heard the asking of my children. The audaciousness of it. Dad, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have that? I gave them a limit. Five bucks each. We've got five minutes. Five bucks each. And so off they go. Get that little five dollars worth. Put it all up on the counter. I pay for it. We get in the car because the next thing we're doing is we're going to the movies. So the first two minutes of the car trip is absolute bliss because they're just stuffing their faces with sugar. Two minutes in, I kid you not, one of my kids, who will remain nameless, says, because uh, we're going to the movies, the next thing on the agenda was we're going to the movies with our cousins. Two minutes in, Dad, when we get to the movies, can you buy some lollies? <laughs> just stuff their faces, and I just thought, the audacity, the shamelessness of that asking. And Jesus says, that's how you should go to God in prayer like a little kid who just asks boldly, shamelessly, relentlessly, and not just asking, right? I mean, he says you can go to him and you can tell him all sorts of stuff. Just like my three-year-old comes to me and tells me all sorts of stuff about what's going on in their lives. You can tell God how you feel. You can tell God when you're cranky. You can tell God why you're happy. You can tell God why you love him. You can even tell him why you don't when things are really hard. Because God says, don't come as an adult with all your proper words. He says, come as a toddler and do life with him. That's the picture that Jesus gives us. He says, come like a three-year-old. And so that's the challenge for me, right? (laughs) When I pray, am I like that? like a toddler walking with my father. And I think secondly, Jesus tells a really helpful story to finish. In verses 11 to 13, he says, when you go to God like a three-year-old, come trusting, like my three-year-old trusts me, that I've got her back. Go to God trusting that he actually truly is good and has your best at heart. See there in verse 11, Jesus says, when a kid comes and asks for a fish, what father would give him a snake? When a child comes and asks for an egg, I mean, what father would give him a scorpion? What kind of father would give harmful gifts to their children? I mean, if I had have just kept saying yes to more and more lollies to my kids, right? Sure, they might have enjoyed it for a moment. 
but that wouldn't have been what was truly good for them. Similarly, what kind of father would God be if he just gave us everything we instantly asked for? There's actually a knowledge that a good father has that allows him to make good decisions for a child. So Jesus says, come and pray like a kid. Pray audaciously, pray relentlessly, ask him for things, tell him things, ask shamelessly, talk honestly, but pray trustingly as you do it. Tim Keller puts it like this. I think it's really helpful. He says, God will either give us what we ask or he would give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. I had to read that about three times before I understood it. Let me read it again. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. That's trust, isn't it? That's how prayer works. God invites us to come and he says, come to a powerful and a personal God. We're invited to adore him, to confess to him, to thank him, to ask him for stuff, to just share our life with him. And he says, come trusting in me, for I'm good. Walk with me. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for your incredible goodness to us, particularly in the Lord Jesus, that through his death and resurrection and ascension, we know that we can be in a right relationship with you. Father, thank you that our prayers don't stop at the ceiling of this building, but they go all the way to Jesus, and he prays them to you on our behalf. Father, thank you that you are such a good father. Please help us to trust you, just like a little kid. And Father, please help us to pray. Because prayer shapes us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. We pray this for Jesus' glory. Amen.